Good morning, TCC. Um, my name is Sami, and uh, this morning I'll be taking the scriptures from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 18 to 28, through to chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. The Bible says, Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. On Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through the grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of the grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting the grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abatha, who was high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. Also, he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was meant to meet the needs of the people and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on Sabbath, or is it a day of doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Brethren, the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Sammy. The privilege of meeting Sammy this summer during our drop-in soccer. And and he is uh, new to Canada. And we were celebrating with him this week because his uh, work permit came in. So we're uh, praising God for that. So, um, yeah, we're praying for him to find work. It's good. It's been fun journeying through Mark. It's funny, I have these nightmares sometimes Saturday nights before I preach where I can't find my sermon notes, and uh, the dream is me running on and off the stage looking for my sermon notes. So I've kept them close to me today, and I I do have them, so we're good. Um, Well, I hate to say it, but winter is coming. Winter is coming. And for many of us, winter is a bit of an unwanted guest, isn't it? especially in Alberta. 
And when winter is here, we are forced to conform to winter's ways. Uh, we don't necessarily like it, but it's just kind of the reality. And we grin and bear winter, and maybe we, we cozy up with an eggnog latte trying to stay warm. We pull out the wool socks to try to keep our toes from freezing off. We swap off the, our, our summer tires with our winter tires on our cars because winter has come and it, it's time to adjust the way that we live. And in Alberta, it's quite funny this time of year because we really try to put off this reality, don't we? We try to avoid turning on the furnace. There are a few of those here this morning. Like, no, no, it's not cold enough yet. Uh, we might see some people outside running around in shorts, you know, acting as if it's still 20 degrees. Because there's this reality that we simply don't want to change. We don't want to welcome in winter very, very much, do we? But when winter comes, we have to change. When winter comes, it demands that we adjust our way of life, lest we freeze, lest we crash our car. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at being told that I need to change. When someone is telling me that I need to change, they become to me a little bit like winter. When someone comes to me and says, hey Adam, I've noticed this or that in your life and I think you need to make some adjustments. I might stand there and grin and bear it, and, but really they're like an unwanted guest. When someone comes to me with some constructive criticism, I'm like, oh man. I stand there and, and I listen. How about you? How do you respond when someone comes along and tells you that you need to change? How do you respond when someone comes to you with some constructive criticism? And more than that, what, what if it's the gentle voice of Jesus telling us to change? You know those times when we're in prayer, asking Jesus questions, bringing Him concerns in our hearts, and we hear that gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit pointing out something in our lives that maybe isn't right. How does that make us feel? How do you react to that? Or when we're reading in God's Word and we come across a passage that confronts us, and we read something that, that tells us that maybe the way we're living isn't exactly the way that God wants us to live. And suddenly the constructive criticism is coming from God's Word. How do we respond to that? Well, I wish that I could tell you that I was more open to the feedback of Jesus. But if I'm really honest, when I sense that there's behaviors or, or attitudes that I'm engaging in, that Jesus wants me to stop, I, I'd much rather not think about it. I'd much rather uh, kind of plug my ears to it. When that criticism comes from Jesus, how often I want to believe that the behaviors that I'm engaging in really aren't that bad. When I read in God's Word that there's something that I might need to change in my own life, I, if I'm honest, I, I look around and say, well, everyone else is doing it. Jesus, I don't really want this feedback. I don't really want this criticism. And as time passes, it's as if I'm treating Jesus and God's word like an Alberta winner. 
like an unwanted guest, hoping that that conviction goes away. Maybe you can relate to some of these sentiments. And we're looking this morning at the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking specifically to a group of people who aren't wanting to change. We're looking at a group of people who didn't like Jesus' constructive criticisms. They didn't like his feedback. Jesus to them was an unwanted guest. Jesus to them was that Alberta winter that just won't go away. Them and Jesus were in conflict. So this morning I want to look at this group of people, the Pharisees. Because I think that we can learn a lot from their interactions with Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And in, in these passages, it's incredibly clear that Jesus and the Pharisees were in conflict. Jesus and the Pharisees are in conflict. And it's, so we need to ask the question, well, who are the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees were one of three uh, predominant groups that existed in Israel during Jesus' time. And the Pharisees were known very specific for being a group of people who were kind of um, living life very different than the Romans. And that's kind of what their name means. Pharisee comes from an Aramaic word meaning to separate, to divide, or to distinguish. Now we need to remember that at the time of Jesus, um, Israel is living under Roman rule. They're in a land that uh, God had given to them. But they're no longer living with their own king. They aren't living by their own laws the way that they would like to. Uh, And they long to see uh, Israel restored to what it used to be back in the time of David. And because of this, the Pharisees kept themselves from the Roman culture. So they were separated from them. They didn't want to be a part of them. And the reason this was is that that the Pharisees believed that keeping God's law perfectly would cause God to send a savior who would rule Israel as God's kingdom once again, like King David. And this is that whole concept of the Messiah or the Christ that that Pastor Quinn talked about a few weeks back. And so when we look at the Pharisees in this respect, there's a lot that we admire about them. They were very eager to do what they believed God told them to do. They were very eager to obey the law because they believed that through obedience, God's kingdom would be restored to Israel. And so they did everything that they could to be obedient. And they had lots of followers. And they were known for their teaching. They were known for their rules and their regulations. All in an attempt to, first of all, stay separate or divided from the Roman world. Uh, but also to see this Messiah come. So these three stories that were read for us this morning are the last three of a group of five. Our gospel writer Mark has very intentionally stacked five stories back to back. These stories are not necessarily chronological, uh, but Mark is being incredibly intentional in the writing of his gospel with these five stories. Uh, The first story that we came across, uh, Pastor Norb uh, taught on a few weeks ago, where Jesus is teaching in a home and and these men come up and they, they pull back the roof of the house and they lower a paralytic friend through the roof. And the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees in this first story in the early part of Mark chapter 2 is that Jesus makes this declaration that the Son of Man can forgive sins. The Pharisees don't like that very much. 
The second story in our group of five, Pastor Ken spoke on last week. The calling of Levi. Now Levi was a friend of, of who? Of the Romans. He was a tax collector. So the Pharisees did not like Levi very much. And here's Jesus spending time with Levi. Not only spending time with Levi, but making Levi one of his disciples. And then later, there's a party, and Jesus is at this party, and the Pharisees come and they say, Jesus, why are you spending time with these tax collectors and these sinners? They didn't like that very much. Well, we come to the third story in our group of five this morning. Jesus and his disciples make a choice not to fast. They make a choice not to fast. Now, I'm not going to speak this morning on fasting specifically, except to say that I think fasting is very important. Um, In our our midweek class that we're doing right now called Life to the Full, we've just been talking about spiritual disciplines and the importance of fasting. And what Jesus is not saying in this section of Scripture is that we shouldn't fast. Um, But we're not going to get into that um, this morning, but rather focus on the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. So the issue at play here in this text is is that Jesus' disciples were not fasting in the way that the Pharisees were fasting. And the Pharisees, they were over-fasters. If we look at the Old Testament, we see that the instruction to fast only came once a year. There was only one time a year where Israel was required to fast. Um, And this particular case we're reading about is not that time. And what the Pharisees had done is they decided, well, fasting is is a godly, it's holy, and so we are going to fast. And we're going to fast a lot. And Jesus addresses this issue several times in the Gospels. And so the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, why aren't you fasting the way that we are fasting? So Jesus responds to them with a question. And he says, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Now, this question that Jesus is asking them is, of course, rhetorical. Now, imagine uh, going to a wedding and going to the reception of the wedding, and you you get to the reception, and the bride and groom are like, guys, we're fasting today. (laughs) There's no food. (laughs) You'd be like, man, this is the worst wedding I've ever been to. (laughs) Of course you don't fast at a wedding. Why don't you fast at a wedding? Because a wedding is a time of joy. A wedding is a time of celebration. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that, whoa, wait guys, the kingdom of God has come. God's kingdom is breaking through. I am here. The Messiah is here. This is a time of of joy. This is a time of celebration. Now a couple things are taking place here. First of all, Jesus is likening himself to the bridegroom. Jesus is likening himself to the bridegroom. Now this is a problem for the Pharisees because the bridegroom imagery is is a very strong Old Testament imagery. We read about the bridegroom or there's this picture of of God being the bride, the, the the husband to Israel, the bride. And so we read about the bridegroom in the, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel. Uh, specifically, I'll, I'll have us look at Hosea chapter 2. And what we read about the bridegroom in the Old Testament, and this is Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, God is saying to his people, And I will betroth you to me forever. 
I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So in Hosea, who's the bridegroom? Well, God. God's the bridegroom. So when Jesus is saying that the bridegroom is here, what is he saying? What is he making the Pharisees think? You know, these references to the bridegroom is is God. Jesus, what are you saying? Are you claiming to be the bridegroom? Much in the same way that at the beginning of Mark, Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom had come. Jesus here is teaching these Pharisees that the time had indeed come. That the kingdom of God was at hand. And he goes on to illustrate this uh, with uh, with these, these pictures. Talks about the new patch tearing the old garment. The new wine bursting the old wineskins. And it's important here to note that Jesus is not saying that the old should be discarded. He's not saying that, you know, you need to go and throw out all the old garments. You need to go and throw out the old wine. That's not what Jesus is saying. Rather, Jesus is affirming what has now come far surpasses all that's gone before. The old should not hold back the new. However, by making it conform to its shape. So Jesus here is saying that he's doing a new thing. But the conforming to the old shape is exactly what the Pharisees wanted Jesus to do. They wanted Jesus to conform to their shape. They wanted Jesus to do the things that he, that that the Pharisees wanted him to do. They wanted Jesus to live and do life the way that they lived and do life. They wanted Jesus to keep the law the way that they kept the law. But Jesus was doing something new. And if Jesus was the Messiah, the Pharisees would have said that he is not behaving in the way that he was supposed to. So that's the third story in our group of five. The fourth is Jesus and his disciples work on the Sabbath. Now again, I'm not going to talk much about Sabbath here, except to say that we should all prioritize a Sabbath as a practice in our lives. Sabbath is incredibly important. Important. It is taking a day of your week and saying, I'm going to cease from all that is necessary. I'm going to trust that God is going to take care of all that needs to be done. And I'm going to give this day to Him. Um, If you have more questions about Sabbath, we can talk about that later. Um, But here, what's going on in this passage um, is Jesus and His disciples are working on a day that was designated for there to be no work. So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as him and his disciples made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Well, this is a problem to the Pharisees. The issue here in this story is that uh, Jesus was law-breaking. But we need to ask the question, were they actually law-breaking? Now, we understand that the Pharisees had added 39 activities um, that were forbidden on the Sabbath. So again, the Pharisees want to live by God's law. And so they look at God's law and they say, how am I supposed to do this? And they create rules to help them do this. They created 39 things that they needed to keep from doing on the Sabbath. And if they did any one of those 39 things, they would be breaking the Sabbath. Now it's important to note that these 39 things are not in the Old Testament. These are things that the Pharisees uh, created themselves. The third on their list of 39 
was reaping, which is picking heads of grain. So when the Pharisees show up and they see Jesus and his disciples picking grain, they're not too happy about this. Jesus is breaking the Sabbath in their perspective. So Jesus argues their point by pointing to the Old Testament and looking at King David. Now if we remember the story from 1 Samuel, uh, King David is running away from Saul. And in his pursuit, him and his men get hungry. And they find themselves taking refuge um, at the temple. And in the temple, there are loaves of bread. But that bread is only designated for the priests to eat. But David asks the priest for the bread, and the priest gives it to them. And he uses that bread to feed his companions, to feed the men who are with him. And Jesus uses this as an example to say that the fact that God does not condemn David for his actions indicates the narrowness with, with which the Pharisees interpreted the law. And, and Jesus is pointing out that the way they're interpreting the law is not in accordance with the general message of Scripture. Jesus argues that the tradition of the Pharisees was exceeding the intention of the law. So in this story, Jesus is bringing them a correct understanding. Jesus teaches that mankind was not meant to be subordinate to Sabbath keeping, as if man were made for the Sabbath. But rather, Sabbath was made for man. Now, in the way that Jesus ties himself to the bridegroom in the story before, uh, in this story, Jesus makes a proclamation about Sabbath. He demonstrates that he has the authority to make a declaration about the Sabbath. Again, linking himself to being the Messiah. Linking himself to being like God. The Pharisees did not like this very much. Which takes us to the fifth story in this progression of stories. Is Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Now this scenario is clearly a setup. When you think about the Pharisees approaching Jesus in a grain field. Well, you know, that's probably out of town. That's out of the way. There's not a lot of people around. So the Pharisees see an opportunity in a synagogue on a Sunday morning... They see an opportunity where they can call Jesus out in front of all the people and point to Jesus and say, look, this man is a sinner. We shouldn't listen to him. So that's the opportunity the Pharisees are looking for. The issue here at play is that Jesus has already demonstrated a willingness to work on the Sabbath by picking heads of grain. But would he heal? And would he do it in front of a group of people? Now there was an allowance within the Pharisaic law to save life on a Sabbath if that was necessary. They did allow for a doctor to to perform whatever he needed to in order to save a life. But this man's life was not endangered. So Jesus sees the setup. He sees what's going on in this place and he responds by calling the man to him. And then he challenges the Pharisees with this question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? Now remember when I said in the the earlier story that Jesus' question was rhetorical? This question, there's no evidence that this is rhetorical. There's no evidence that he's not expecting them to answer. 
But what's interesting about this question is that the answer is so obvious. It's so obvious. So what does Jesus do? He answers his own question. He does good by breaking the Pharisees' law and healing a man on the Sabbath. So these five stories, Jesus forgiving the sins and healing the man, healing the paralytic man, uh, Jesus dining with sinners, Jesus and his disciples choosing not to fast, Jesus and his disciples working on the Sabbath, Jesus healing a man of the, on the Sabbath, these five stories all build up to this verse in chapter 3, verse 6. We read that the Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him about how to destroy him. The Pharisees don't like Jesus very much. What's very fascinating about this verse is do you see the way that the Pharisees answer Jesus' question? When Jesus first asked them, is it lawful, um, is it lawful to, uh, to, to save a life or to kill on the Sabbath? And they're silent. Here in verse 6, we read their answer. Where Jesus chose to heal a man on the Sabbath, the Pharisees choose to plot a murder. Where Jesus chooses to preserve and restore a life, the Pharisees choose to plot on how to destroy Jesus. They answer the question, no, Jesus, it's better to kill. So these five stories are very interesting. And, and the temptation of us as an audience, as someone reading the Gospel of Mark, is to go, oh man, those Pharisees, they've really got this whole following Jesus thing totally screwed up. Man, if I would have been there, I would have set them straight. And we read about the Pharisees and we, we laugh at them. We read about the Pharisees and we're like, man, these guys, they just didn't get it. But friends, I wish I didn't see myself in the Pharisees. But I do. It's so easy for me to look at this group and criticize them. But if I'm honest, there's times in my own life where I'm not any different from the Pharisees. Jesus was the Pharisees' unwelcomed guest. <laughs> How often in my own life does Jesus come to me and try to lead me, try to instruct me, try to teach me? And I'm like, no, Jesus, just leave me alone. See, the Pharisees had established a set of rules and principles by which they lived their lives. The Pharisees would have claimed that they had life figured out. They got it. They know how to live life the way that God wants them to live life. But in walks Jesus. And he begins to challenge their way of life. In walks Jesus and, and he invites them to respond to God's kingdom. But they don't like it. Not one bit. And this leads me to think, how often do I sense Jesus leading me to forgive the sins of others, but I instead choose resentment? How often do I sense Jesus leading me to befriend and reach out to someone who's different than me, but I ignore it? 
because I don't want to be associated with that person or I don't want to be bothered. How often do I feel like I have everything figured out and reject Jesus' teaching that challenges my thoughts? How often do I hold others to my own standards, refusing to extend grace, the same grace that's been extended by Jesus to me? How often do I justify not doing the right thing while Jesus is calling me to do good works? Too often, too often, we read in chapter 3 verse 5 that Jesus is grieved by their hardness of hearts. And I have to ask myself, Are there times when I grieve Jesus' heart? So what can we learn from these Pharisees? They've demonstrated to us what not to do. So what do we learn from them? First is that walking with Jesus requires humility. Walking with Jesus requires humility. See, the Pharisees were so proud in their understanding of life their understanding of God, their understanding of their faith, their religion. And they left no room for themselves to be wrong. And I think that we live in a a day and age where that's the case for many of us. I came across a a funny story um, that, that God was once approached by a scientist. And this scientist walks up to God and he says, Listen God, we've decided that we don't need you anymore. These days we can clone people, we can transplant organs, we can do all sorts of things that used to be considered miraculous. So we don't need you anymore. God replied, you don't need me, huh? Well, how about we put your theory to the test? Why don't we have a competition to see who can make a human being? Let's say a male human being. The scientist agrees. So God declares that they should do it like he did in the good old days when he created Adam. Fine, the scientist said. So the scientist bends down to scoop up a handful of dirt. And God says, whoa, whoa there, not so fast. You got to get your own dirt. (laughs) We think we have it all figured out. We think we have the power, all the power in the world. And we live in a society that thinks they have it all figured out. We live in a culture that thinks that they have all the power in in the world. All the answers that we could ever be looking for. But friends, at the end of the day, we don't got dirt. Jesus came to show us a better way. But we live and act as if we've got it. We don't need you, Jesus. You got it all sorted out. Well, Jesus is crying out to us that he made us. That he knows what's best for us. He knows how we are to get the most out of life without blowing it. So we need to be prepared for the reality that we don't have everything figured out. We need to be humble. As we read God's word, as we prayerfully listen to Jesus... 
Are we a people who are open to his correction? Or are we proud, thinking we got it all figured out? The second lesson we learn from the Pharisees is that walking with Jesus requires us to listen. See, the Pharisees were not open to a different understanding of the law. They weren't open to it. They didn't want to hear it. Jesus is here teaching them, hey, maybe you guys don't totally got this sorted when it comes to understanding the law. They're like, no, 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 we got it. A story in the news, actually just out of last month, a tragic story coming out of Nairobi. Uh, there was a building collapse. And the sad thing about this building collapse is that the weeks leading up to it, people would go in this building and be like, this ain't right. The foundation was cracking. The ceilings were sagging. There were cracks in the walls. Sure enough, due to poor construction, poor practices, this building came tumbling down, uh, taking several lives with it. And friends, you and I would not even enter a house if we knew that it wasn't built according to code. We wouldn't enter a house that we knew that the carpenters rejected the instruction uh, from the engineers and the designers. Because we wouldn't believe that it's safe. We understand in that type of a context the importance for the trade workers to listen to the instruction that we're given. And when they don't listen, bad things can happen. The codes exist for a reason. And when I look at the Pharisees, it breaks my heart because the Old Testament spoke over and over again about the coming of the Messiah. And I believe that all they had to do was really listen to Jesus and they would have seen that He was the one. Instead, they refused to accept that Jesus was their awaited Savior. They refused to even consider that Jesus may be God. So we need to listen And ask, what what does Jesus have to say about how we live our lives? What does Jesus say to us about what it even looks like for us to be Christian? Living in Edmonton, Alberta in 2019. Jesus, what, what does it look like for me to follow you in my workplace, in this context, in this day and age? Jesus, what what does it look like for me to be a a spouse that honors and loves and cares for my spouse? Jesus, what does it look like for me to to parent my children in a time where it just feels so difficult? And when we ask Him these questions, we listen for a response. And when we think about all that's going on in our world, We need to ask Jesus, what does he say about sexuality? What does he say about our identity? What does he say about the whole reality of success? What does success look like according to Jesus? Friends, these are the things that we just kind of go about in our lives. We, We copy the world around us. We engage in the things that everyone else around us is engaging without stopping to listen. So walking with Jesus requires us to listen. Thirdly, I believe that walking with Jesus is a journey. Walking with Jesus is a journey. See, the Pharisees believed that they had arrived. Without humility, without a willingness to listen, there was this sense of, you know, 
We got it. We have arrived. We figured it all out. Many of us in this room grew up in the church. We've been around the church for a long time. We prayed a prayer of faith and were baptized at a young age. I know that's me. And if that's you, we have to caution ourselves in thinking that we have arrived. Or that we somehow have have figured everything out that there is to figure out about being a believer, about following Jesus. Because following Jesus is not about arrival. It's a journey. And there's so much to be learned. There's so much to be discovered as we walk with Jesus. And we should never claim to have come to a point where we've got it all figured out. Others of you who maybe are here this morning, you've you've heard about Jesus. But even this whole concept of walking with Him might be foreign to you. I want you to even consider this morning as part of the journey on coming to know Jesus. That it's a progression. That it's a movement. That it's a relationship that just continues to unfold. And we do well not to think that we have arrived. So what are the lessons we learn from the Pharisees? Walking with Jesus requires humility. Requires us to listen. It requires us to remember that it's a journey. What was Jesus' message to us? Message to this group? Well, we flip back one chapter. Um, two chapters, I guess. Chapter 1. When Jesus showed up on the scene, He came proclaiming the gospel of God. Saying, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. Jesus is calling. He's calling to us constantly. Every time an invitation to follow. Every time an invitation to reorient our hearts before Jesus. And sure, there's going to be missteps. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to act like the Pharisees. We're going to be found amongst sinners in a way that we shouldn't be. We're going to make bad choices. But hear this invitation of Jesus coming to us continually. Repent and believe in the good news. Find that full life in the person of Jesus Christ. Come be satisfied by the one who made you, who knows exactly what you need to be satisfied. Let's pray together. Invite the worship team to join me on the platform. Father God, I am so convicted when I examine the life of the Pharisees, when I examine these interactions between the Pharisees and you. Because Lord, I would love to read these stories and, and see myself standing next to you But Lord, in reality, I think I too often take company with the Pharisees. Lord, I too often refuse to be humble. I too too often refuse to offer forgiveness but choose resentment. 
I too often ignore you calling me to love those that are different from me. I too often live as if I have everything figured out. Too often I hold others to my own standards, refusing to extend the grace that you've extended to me. And too often I justify doing, not doing the right thing. So Jesus, we thank you for the work and the ministry of your Spirit. Lord, that, that leads us to this place of repenting and believing in the good news. And so Jesus, it's my prayer for us in this room that we would be people who walk with you, who walk with you humbly, who listen to you, and who recognize that we're on a journey. Help us to walk in that way, Lord Jesus. Lord, may our hearts sing one name, bring glory to one name, in the name of Jesus. We praise you. Amen.